Hey, welcome to ACF Church. If you are new here, uh, we're just glad that you're with us. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in the middle of a series called All the Feels. And we've been talking each week about how our, our spiritual health is actually tied directly to our emotional health, uh, which is new news for many people. Uh, for a lot of people, I think in the church, we've disconnected our emotions. We've felt like maybe emotions are bad or something that we should uh, resist. But actually, we realize that Jesus was a very emotional man. And as the one that we kind of apprentice our lives towards, we want to become more like Jesus. He felt all of his feelings. Uh, Jesus probably laughed a lot, and he probably cried a whole lot. And, and as one who felt his feelings, he wasn't ruled by his emotions, but he actually controlled his emotions and used them for a good purpose. And so for us, as, as we've started off this series, we've basically made a, a theological case that emotions can be good. God gave us emotions. Uh, if you came up in a family where emotions ran wild and everybody was controlled by their emotions, it's not something to resist, but something to understand. And for us also, also to use to help us to, to love God more and love others more. Uh, and we kind of made this case that there's a lot of people who have a faith that really isn't working for them, a faith that is passionless, the kind of faith that you could take or leave where maybe church is something, maybe you come when it's convenient, you come when it's a cold day outside and there's hot coffee inside, uh, but when other things are going on, it's, it's not necessarily a top priority. Or maybe following Jesus is something that you do when it's, when it's convenient, do when it's easy, but there's, there's a gap in your heart. This lack of a, a deep down belief, somewhere deep inside your guts that you're just like, this is true, and this is right, and this in the end is all that matters. And so that's really where we want to go, is we want to be holistic people, uh, that we would connect our emotions to our spirituality, and we would actually believe in a deeper sense, beyond just knowing verses, beyond just going to church, but in our souls, that Jesus is Lord, and in, in the end, the kingdom is really all that matters in this life. And so we've made a case for that throughout this series. If you want to catch up, you can go online and download those messages. Also, we've been basing a lot of this on a book that we're studying through uh, called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, written by a guy named Pete Scazzaro. It's just fun to say, Scazzaro. So uh, I'd encourage you to go buy that book in the lobby, download that online. Just get a copy of that. And definitely, if you have not jumped into an ACF group, group, group yet, this is a great chance uh, where you're going to get kind of a head start on the conversation. And each group is actually talking about the message in a deeper way in their homes this week. And so uh, if you've resisted being part of group because you're like, I don't know what I'd say, or you know, maybe it's going to be uncomfortable, at least you know what the topic is. Uh, they're going to be talking about this in a deeper sense in those homes. And so today we're talking about hitting the wall. We're talking about hitting some big, deep challenges in life. And I love the words of that song that, that despite what we see, we're just going to worship God. Despite what we're going through, we're going to worship God. And, and you don't actually have to be a Christian very long or live very long to realize that that's not as easy as it sounds. Um, you will hit pain and struggle and turmoil in a way in life where, you know, sometimes praising God seems natural and easy and, and life is going well, so praise God life is going well. And other times it feels like it's ripping your chest apart because you're just like, man, I, I know that this is true. I know God is good, but it doesn't feel that way right now. I feel lost. I feel like I'm hurting. I feel like I'm broken. And so today I want to talk about a season of life that I think we've all experienced, which is a season of, uh, of struggle. Like we have hit a wall. We have hit some kind of turmoil that seems like it's beyond us and we're not sure what to do about it. I remember when I first got married to Amanda, um, we struggled. And marriage is hard, right, married people? Anybody married that wants to nod your head a little bit? Uh, marriage is hard sometimes. Um, and, and I remember when we first got married thinking, I don't know if we're going to make it. 
Honestly, waking up every day, making another decision to stay married. Sometimes it's like that. You just wake up every day and you're just like, we're just going to stay married. And we're going to work through these difficult uh, things that we're going through. And some friends of ours were in a similar circumstance. And what they said, it was interesting. They said, uh, the only reason we stayed together is because neither one of us wanted to quit on the same day. So, yay marriage, right? Single people are like, let me think twice about marriage. No, it, it's a beautiful gift, but it's hard, and it's challenging, and, and we went through some dark seasons, um, working through things in, in our own hearts, and working through things as a couple together, and your spiritual journey, I want to say, is, is no different. We have ups and downs, highs and lows. Sometimes our spiritual, spiritual journey can be like hitting a wall. We just don't know how to get through it. Now, um, I just want to kind of make a case first off of what the wall is and kind of describe it. Pete Scazzaro describes it this way. He says, It comes perhaps through a divorce, a job loss, the death of a close friend or a family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled, a dryness or loss of joy in our relationship with God, We question ourselves, God, the church. We discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it it is on the line. We don't know where God is, what he is doing, where he is going, how he is getting us there, or when this will be over. Have you ever been in that kind of situation where you're just like, I want to get off the train. Can I just get out of this? Can I just get out of this situation? The, the famous 15th century writer John of the Cross calls this season the dark night of the soul, which I love that language. I really connect with that, that, that there, are, there are these seasons where you feel like you're in the darkness, yet it's daytime. And throughout the day, all day long, you just feel like you're in this, this cloud, this darkness of life. And I even think in my own life, some of the, the most broken thoughts that I've had happen at nighttime. They happen in the darkness. So they're these like dark nights of the soul. And they can go for weeks. They can go for months. Some people, they go for years of just feeling this inner turmoil. You might have called it a midlife crisis. You might have called it a season of depression. You might have called it a season that you walked away from your faith. But we come to these places where it is just the end of me. And I just don't know how to move forward. Now, what a dark night of the soul or a wall is, is not, is it's not a setback. Like it's not traffic on the Glen. Like when that semi was rolled over this week and everybody's stuck on the Glen Highway for like an hour, nobody was like, this is a dark night of the soul. I've hit a wall. My life is, some of you were, right? You're like, that was actually me. I thought my life was over, right? Traffic is not a dark night of the soul, right? Like opening the refrigerator and somebody left like this much milk in the bottom of the jug is not a dark night of the soul, though you may feel that way. You know, little, little tiffs with your spouse or with your roommates or with your friends, these are not dark nights of the soul. I would describe a dark night of the soul this way. I would say a dark night of the soul is what happens when you are confronted with so much opposition, pain, or confusion that the conceptual framework of your life or faith begins to collapse. Where you hit a a season or a situation where you're just like, I have no grid to understand this. I have no way of processing through this. I've never confronted this type of situation before, and I'm not sure how to move forward. That is a dark night of the soul. I was thinking about it this way. In Alaska... It, 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 we, we get a lot of snow, and it's the first place ever I've ever seen anybody shovel off a roof. You ever seen people do this? 
I remember our first year here, we got a lot of snow, and I looked outside one morning, and there's my neighbor, like, stomping around up on the roof, and I'm like, this is not the season to replace your shingles, buddy. Like, what are you doing up there? And then he picks up a shovel, and he spends all morning shoveling all the snow off his roof, and I talked to him later, and he was just like, hey, I do this every year when we get a lot of snow, because I'm worried that the the load of the snow is going to affect the structure of my home. So the best way to deal with that is just to shovel off the snow, right? And here's what I think. I think that we all have sort of a structure that we, that we call our lives. And we have sort of a spiritual structure and a, a framework that we use to understand what's going on in our lives. Now, sometimes we deal with pain. We deal with opposition or a wall or a dark night of the soul. And what most people do is we try to shovel it off. We just try to get rid of it. It's the most natural response within us is just to avoid pain, avoid suffering, avoid sorrow. Let's get rid of the load because I'm worried that the structure of my life can't handle it. And a wall is when you're confronted with the fact that your structure is not enough, that you don't have what it takes, that you don't have the processing ability to get through this difficult season of your life. Now, for some people in the room, you're like, you're trying to figure out, is a dark night of the soul compatible with my theology. And some people in the room have been kind of brought up in this church structure or in church understanding where when you go to follow Jesus, you just slap a happy smile on your face. Life is good. There are no problems. There's no room for a dark night of the soul for somebody who's been redeemed in Jesus, right? But it's interesting as you follow through the scriptures and you read, what you see is there are a lot of faithful believers who experience dark nights of the soul. Uh, There's this man, Paul, who I would say is the most influential man in Christianity apart from Christ. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now, who's, who's heard that verse? Who said that verse? You're going to see that like knitted on a doily in a Christian's home. You're going to see it like, you know, painted on a little sign on on Pinterest and you're going to put it up on the wall. Like that's an inspirational verse and we love that. Because when I read that, I'm like, man, my pain's not going to be forever and I'm going to get through this and and, and it's not that bad and man, it's going to get taken away in no time and we're going to feel better. But nobody ever reads verse 10. He goes on, he says, he says, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that in the life of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Literally this verse, this passage, is about how pain is always going to be there. We totally misunderstand it. It's how pain is actually, for anybody here who wants to look more like Jesus, pain will always be there. He says we are always going to carry a little bit of the death of Christ, so that we might also see the life of Christ be manifested in our bodies. But the life of Christ will not be manifested apart from the death of Christ. So Christians who follow Jesus feel a little bit of death every day. Right? A little bit of death every day. Now, this isn't a great sales pitch. I get it. Like, if you're here going, like, do I want to follow Jesus? Maybe not. But I want to give you a real perspective that the death of Christ, experiencing everything that comes through that, results in life. And, and, and that is the truth here today. So Paul experiences opposition. And he says, I'm struck down. I'm not destroyed, but this pain has a purpose. God's going to use this. And through the pain, the life of Christ will be manifested in my body. Jesus also ex- encounters a dark night of the soul. This is the first passage I thought of. Maybe you thought of it as well. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. 
And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Okay, so this is actually a a documented medical condition where you have so much stress that you're perspiring blood. I've never been there before, but this is certainly a dark night of the soul, right? I mean, Jesus is going, Father, if you can take away this pain, take it away, but not my will. Uh, yours be done. I know that this pain has a purpose, but we even see in Jesus this agony, this struggle as he goes to the cross. So certainly there is room in our theology for a dark night of the soul. The question is why? What's the purpose? Why would God allow us to go through these seasons? I want you to open your Bibles to the book of First Peter. Um, if you, if you want to download the ACF Church app, you can do that as well. All the scriptures will be on there. But in this book, this is a book written to these first century Christians in a time where Christianity was actually illegal. Now, for us as Americans, we don't get this. You know, we get a little bit of oppositions, and, and certainly it's growing culturally. But our brothers and sisters on a global scale, scale feel this all, every day. We've never felt this. Many of us have never felt this. Maybe you have. But I've never been through a situation where I felt that kind of opposition to my faith. And so the question that they're dealing with is, how do we start this movement? How do we continue the movement of the kingdom of God in this first century? How do we make it move forward? And Paul is going to teach them this this way of moving the kingdom forward is through something that none of us like. It's something called submission. It's a word that none of us really enjoy, submission. And so he's teaching them, in your context, where you are, whatever that you're dealing with, I want you to submit to the governing authorities around you, submit to the situation that you're in, and through that, you're going to see the kingdom of God expanded. And if you just read history, what you're going to see is the Roman Empire was actually overthrown, not by the sword, but through a bunch of Christians submitting to the situations that they were in. And then this groundswell, this grassroots movement of Christianity began to grow in their culture. And finally, it took over. And so we can see this today, but we have to be ready for what it's going to take. He says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 is where we're going to be. He says, For this, I'm sorry, 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So he's telling these people in these situations where there, there are slaves, there are servants, and maybe they have masters who are not good people. So he's telling them, Do not rebel against your masters. I want you actually to submit within these rough situations and let me work through your submission. Verse 19, For it is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Now interesting that he calls it gracious. The first thing I thought was like, doesn't feel gracious. Uh, It doesn't feel like a gift of grace when I go through sorrow and suffering. He's like, it's a gracious thing, but he says this. He says it's gracious when mindful of God one endures these things. Now, you know this, that if there's no greater purpose, if there's nothing else working through our pain, if God is not at work, if I'm not mindful of God, my pain just sucks. It just hurts. That's all it is. It's just pain, and the goal is get away from it, get away from the pain. And that's what most people do is we run away from it. 
But when we're mindful of God, we're going to see that there's a greater purpose through the suffering. Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? In other words, if you screwed up and then you get punished for it and you make it through it, there's no glory for that. But he said, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So you're innocent. You did maybe nothing to deserve the situation that you're in, but you're in a dark season and you endure it. There is something that God's going to do through this. What's his point? Simply this, that dark nights are opportunities. As much as we want to get out of them, we want to get away from them, these dark nights of the soul are actually opportunities. There is an experience and an understanding of Jesus that you will never have apart from suffering, apart from a dark night of the soul. There are habits and hang-ups and things within your life that will not be uprooted in your life until you go through a difficult season, until you are finally at the end of yourself and you, and you run to God and you turn to Him. Now, you might be thinking, well, opportunities. Well, what is on the other side of a dark night of the soul? Like, let's just say I lean in here. Let's just say I, I believe this. What can I experience? Here's a, a few things that I think that you can expect to experience on the other side of a dark night of the soul. The first is this, freedom from judgment. Isn't it interesting how people who have gone through really difficult things are the least judgmental people we know? Like that friend of yours who went through a cancer diagnosis and walked through a really dark night of the soul and maybe the cancer's in remission. Like most of those people are not that judgmental. Honestly, they're like, I got better things to do. I I have a bigger perspective in my life than uh, these things that used to drive me crazy these things that they used to judge other people about, I just don't do it anymore. I don't really have time for it. How about this one? A difficulty to offend. Once again, when you go through a dark night of the soul, a difficult season of suffering, and you don't know what to do, you come out the other side, you are less offendable. These things that used to frustrate you don't frustrate you. The things that used to offend you, you're just like, honestly, that's not that big of a deal. Number three, a greater appreciation for the unknown. When you encounter a dark night of the soul, you realize how little you know. You realize how little you can do. And you go, man, I just... And it's funny, oftentimes, people that I've known that have gone through difficult seasons, they come out of the other side and they are learners again. And they are reading books. And it's funny how they they find truth and they're able to be, uh, be, be encouraged by anybody and everybody. They're just looking to be learners in life because they've gone through a dark season of the soul. How about number four, an ability to wait? Some of you, you feel like your life is like perpetually living in the DMV. Like you're just stuck, you're stuck there and there's, you know, you're number 973 and the number on the screen is like four and there's like six people in the room. Isn't that always how it is? You're like, where's everybody else? And I'm going to be here all day long. And so you sit and you sit and, 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 and for me, I hate waiting. I hate sitting and waiting, but when you go through dark season of the soul, you get better at waiting. I mean, you'll, you'll just sit there in the DMV and just watch people, right? You might not even have a screen in your face. You might just be like, my heart's beating right now. Thumbs up. It's a good day. Right? I'm just going to kind of hang out and be glad that I can wait right now. I'm just glad that I'm able to wait right now. So you'll appreciate waiting. And the last one is where I want to hang out for the rest of our time is an eternal perspective. You develop this bigger picture on the world because you've gone through a dark season. And, and honestly, when you come out the other side healthy, you realize there has got to be something more. There's got to be something beyond this life. And you start to believe that in a deeper 
more, pro- more profound way. Let's keep going in First Peter verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. So good news, you have been called to suffering. If you're a Christian and you want to follow Jesus, you have a calling. You've always wondered what my calling is? It's to suffer. That's your, that's your calling. You have been called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. The, this word example is actually a really interesting word in the Greek. Um, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid and you were learning how to write, but this word example is kind of like, did you ever use the tracing paper? That's kind of how I learned how to write. The teacher would give you the piece of paper with all the letters on it, and then you'd put the tracing paper on top of the other paper, and then your job was to trace out the letters. Like, this was not a time for creativity. This was not like add some little curly cues and have a little fun with the letters. No, the teacher wanted you to write exactly what was on the page underneath your tracing paper. And that's what this word example is like. It's that when, when we follow Jesus, it's that we would follow his example to the T. Now, a lot of us don't see it that way. We're kind of like, when, when we talk about following in Jesus' steps, we think more like following the pathway of Jesus. It's like maybe like a four-lane highway, and there's a lot of room to kind of walk around. And, and as long as I'm going in the general direction that Christ went, then I'm being faithful. Instead, following in his steps is a little like if you've ever followed somebody through the deep snow, and you literally have to walk in every single step that they walked in. This is how we who are in Jesus are to follow Jesus, walking in his steps. Now we think, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I I follow Jesus. He's a good man. He's a good teacher. He loved people. He was always healing people. Oh yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Let me follow in the steps of Jesus. But then, then we lose it at his suffering. We think, well, not that far, right? That's taking things way too far. Paul would say, and Peter would say, that that is not the case. He says that we are to suffer as we follow in his footsteps. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. This is so important because Jesus was not guilty and he still suffered. And there is probably someone here today who is a victim to something and you are not guilty and you just need to let that go. And you've been tying your suffering to your guilt for years. And you just need to understand that Jesus himself the most guiltless person who has ever walked the face of the earth suffered at the hands of men. And if you experience suffering, it's not always tied to your decisions. It's not always your fault. So Jesus himself, not his fault, suffered. It says when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So when they, when they called him names... When they hated him, he did not hate back. When they screamed at him, he did not scream back. When they spit on him, he did not spit back. Now, why do we do that? I think we do that because we think we are to judge and we are to enact justice on the world, right? I mean, there comes a point where this is too far. They've gone too far. The situation has gone too far. We all have a certain limit in which we will put up with things. And then at some point we go, okay, you've crossed the line, right? You have crossed the line. Now I'm going to feed back to you what you fed to me because I feel like it's my job to be the judge and to enact justice. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to trust the one who judges justly. I'm going to trust my Father who will enact justice. 
And some of you need to be set free from this because you have been trying to be the one who enacts justice your whole life. And, and in that, you have burned a lot of bridges and missed a lot of opportunities because you felt like it is your job to cast justice out on the world. Now, some, some of us feel like, well, if I let it go, Brian, that means I'm giving them permission. That means that I'm telling them it's okay. Or I'm saying the situation's okay. No, that's not the case. This is just you saying, my father will be the judge. And, and, and no, no sin really goes without judgment. In the end, we are either in Christ or we're apart from Christ. But in the end, God is the one who's the judge. And we will trust his judgment. That's who Jesus is in that moment as he goes to the cross. Verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. In other words, your, your, your sinfulness is already paid for. He bore your sins. He, he bore your sins. Not so that, in the sense that we're going to pay for our righteousness, Christ gives us righteousness so that we can live this new way of life. In other words, we're not earning anything. The way that you get through this season of sorrow, the way that you get through this dark night of the soul is not going to earn you a better place at the table before God. No, Jesus has already accomplished that so that we might be empowered to make it through really difficult situations. And then he quotes Isaiah 53, which is a beautiful Beautiful quotation. It says this, By his wounds you have been healed. This is the paradox of the cross, this idea that wounds end up healing. Jesus' wounds end up healing. They heal us. They provide an opportunity for us to deal with these difficult dark nights of the soul. And we see this in our own lives. Through the wounds, through the dark nights, through these seasons, they provide new opportunities, right? Like the death of one dream results in maybe a new dream. The death of one relationship results in a new relationship. The loss of someone you love ends up giving birth to a new compassion for people around you or compassion for someone else. How about this? The collapsing of a shallow faith gives birth to a more robust faith. Because that's, that's, that's how it goes. Either your faith will collapse and that'll be it, or you're going to seek answers to the questions that you have. And I think you should. In fact, the other day I ran into a guy. We were working on the house together, and, and he, he told me, he's like, yeah, I don't go to church much. And he's like, pastors don't honestly like me very much. And I'm like, why not? He goes, because I ask too many questions. And I'm like, oh, that's good, because I love, I love questions. I, I think that, that the church needs to embrace questions. We need to get better at I don't know. We need to get better at asking questions and not having the answer because that's what builds the structure of our faith so we can withstand these dark nights of the soul. I think that you need to ask really difficult questions. That's why our, our life groups are so great because people ask all kinds of questions. And I've gotten really good at, you know, if you come up to me after church and you're like, Brian, tell me about Leviticus chapter 3, verse 4. I'm going to be like, I got to look it up, bro. I don't know. I don't like, I know I'm supposed to memorize it because I'm the pastor, but I don't have it memorized. I'm going to have to look it up and find the answer. I, I, I don't have all the answers, but we can find them together. But, but some of you have not embraced this mentality. And because of that, you have a really weak structure. Your faith is one question away from collapsing. And you know it because have you ever had somebody with maybe a name tag show up to your door at your house? A couple flyers, dressed really nice. And they knock on the door and you have a decision to make, right? 
Now, you might be like, I don't have time for this. I'm not going to answer the door. But some of you don't answer the door because you are afraid that they know the Bible better than you do. And you're afraid they're going to ask you questions that you won't have the answers to. And you've never sat down and been like, man, I've got I to figure this out. I mean, I am staking my life on this faith. I better find some answers to these questions that they're going to ask so that I can open the door and, and we can dig through it together and I can actually know how to walk forward with them. But instead of that, you're going, nope, just plug my ears, walk away, don't answer the door because I'm afraid. I, wanna, I want you to embrace a new way of seeing your faith, that questions are great. Questions are how we find answers and how we build a stronger structure that can withstand the payload of a dark night of the soul. That's how we get stronger. Now, I want to just tell you, and this is just me being honest with you, some of you won't be here next week. And it's not because, like, you know, you were sick. It's because you don't have a structure that can withstand the, the tensions of your life or the temptations of your life. Some of you here in a month, two months, you'll walk away from the church, you'll walk away from God. And then you'll walk back, right? And then you'll walk away again for a little while. And then it's Christmas, so you'll come back, right? And there's just sort of this like journey that a lot of people go on a lot of times because once again, their structure does not, d- does not have the strength to hold up to the tensions of life. I mean, if you are one question away from your faith collapsing, what are you going to do when you get that diagnosis? What are you going to do when you lose that marriage or you lose that job or your kids stop talking to you? What are you going to do when you don't know what to do in life and you don't have a grid to deal with it? But if you deal with it and you ask questions and you get into community, you can, you can move forward and you can actually embrace some really dark seasons. He says, by the wounds of Jesus, through the sorrow and the struggle of Christ, we can be healed. And healed, this word healed, another way to say it is changed. We can have a new outlook, a different way of looking at the world, a different way of looking at the church. Some of you need to put to death your old way of seeing Christianity. Like you're an adult now and you left church for a while, but you actually still look at church and Christianity the same way you did when you were a kid. And you need to put to death this maybe childish way of seeing God. You might be like, well, aren't we supposed to have childlike faith? Childlike faith is different than childish faith, right? We might need to put to death our, our childish faith and pursue this, this truth that we can find through God, through the church, in the scriptures, and through prayer. So we want to be healed. We want to be changed by Jesus. Here's the truth that he's getting at. An eternal perspective is not given. It's earned through pain. That perspective that you want to have is earned. God's not just going to, you know, matrix style download it into your brain. Like, now I have an eternal perspective. You know, I'm so generous now and I'm helping people. No, that comes through really hard stuff and really difficult situations. And so I'd ask you, what is your perspective? Do you have an eternal perspective? Because you can see it in the way that you deal with pain. If you hit a dark night of the soul, if you hit a difficult season and your goal is to get out of it as quickly as possible, what that means is that your life is about comfort and enjoyment. And anything that makes you not comfortable or anything that is not enjoyable, let's just get away from it. And that's, once again, our our most natural response. I want a life of comfort. Just put me in front of my TV, in my lazy boy, in a a climate-controlled house, And I'm happy, right? Bag of Doritos, like life is good. I like that. I want enjoyment. I want comfort. But if when you encounter pain 
and suffering and sorrow and you run into it, what that says is you believe that these momentary afflictions are leading to an eternal glory. That through these difficult times, God is going to change us and mold us. And there's actually bigger things at stake in this life than my comfort. There is a really shallow brand of Christianity out there that would tell you that if you follow Jesus, there is no room for pain. But I would tell you that anybody who preaches that or says that has not spent much time ruminating on the cross. Because certainly it took death to provide life as we see this in the life of Jesus towards someone who was completely guiltless and didn't deserve it. You might be thinking, well, but Brian, my situation just is, is just pointless pain. It's just meaningless. And I would say a lot of people think that. When we're in the middle of a dark night of the soul, most of us feel like it's meaningless because we don't know the meaning yet. And many of you have been there. You've gone through dark nights of the soul. You've gotten to the other side and you've seen God redeem and restore and do things that he never would have apart from that. And you go, that was the point, right? That was the point. Now, this brings up all kinds of theological issues of why evil. And, and in fact, here after Easter, we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking the reason for evil and why does evil exist. But let me just tell you this. Whatever you're going through, it may be breaking the heart of God, but it is not beyond the hand of God. God is always ready and willing to redeem the most broken of circumstances and create something beautiful. In fact, it's the way that we end the book of Genesis, right? What they intended for evil, God intended for good. And God will take your meaningless feeling, broken situation and give it meaning. That's what he's in the business of, is restoring and creating purpose out of disorder and struggle. We see this in our own lives. So just be hesitant to say, this is just meaningless. This is just pointless. God is going to be at work through it, no matter what. No matter what, God is at work through the great pain that you're experiencing. Now, somebody that has gotten through this has a new way of looking at the world has a new way of seeing life and has, I think, some new beliefs. Here's some things that I think that if you get through the dark night of the soul, you'll start to believe, some essential beliefs. The first, the first of the, is this, life is actually really hard. Um, my dad used to tell me, son, life's hard. It's just going to be hard sometimes. And, you know, when you're a kid, you, you're thinking, yeah, I know, once in a while, I'm not going to get McDonald's when I want it and I might get bad grades. It's, like, life is hard doesn't mean a whole lot when you're a kid. I mean, some kids have gone through difficult things, but for me, it didn't mean a whole lot. And as, as I've gotten older and experienced more pain and seen people experiencing deep, deep pain, I've gone, man, life is, it is hard. And now I believe that in a deeper way. I believe this, and, and we will believe this on the other side of the dark night of the soul. You are not that important. And, and I, I, think, I think that you guys are all actors that are part of my play, right? You guys are supporting actors part of my, my, my story, right? Instead, when you get through a dark night of the soul on the other side, you start to believe, man, I'm just not that important. I'm really small, in fact. I mean, I'm valuable. God loves me, but I'm, I'm so small. So life is hard. You are not that important. Your life is not about you. You start to believe that. You get through a dark night of the soul, and you think, man, I, I, I don't have much time here. I better help people out. Maybe I could serve somebody. Maybe I could be a little more generous with my money. Maybe I could be a little more generous with my time. You think, man, maybe, maybe in the end, if I get everything I've dreamed about for myself, I failed. What if that's the case? So you start to think, my life isn't about me. Here's a belief. You are not in control. 
You're just not. And, and, and we, we think that, we're like, oh, I believe that, but then you get on the other side of something that you couldn't change, and you wrestle with that again. You start telling God, no, I want to control this situation. And you realize, no, I can't put another breath in my lungs. I can't give myself another day on this earth. I'm just not in control. And the last, and I think most important one just to embrace is you are going to die. You're like, I'm not inviting my friend to church anymore, Pastor Brian. It's a terrible sermon. Somebody told me they read through these in the book and they're like, this chapter was terrible, so depressing. And I was like, no, you're missing the point. There is so much peace in all of this. When you come through this and your soul is seasoned by pain, and deepened by a dark night of the soul, and you believe these things, you can enjoy every day just for whatever it throws at you. Nobody's got anything on you. You start to believe different things about your life, and these essential beliefs, I think, will begin to to permeate everything. All our relationships, our time at work, you know, our time at home, our time at play, we'll start to just think about life differently when we embrace these things. Let's finish up this passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25 says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. How are we straying? I was reading this thinking, like, well, how are we straying? And a, a lot of different ways, obviously, but I think specifically in this topic, we are straying by wandering away from pain, wandering away from suffering, seeking freedom and hope apart from the suffering that life wants to give us. And so we, we all do this. We wander away from pain. Um, when I first got to Alaska, I, I, I tell a lot of hunting stories just because I love going hunting. Uh, some friends of mine and myself, we decided to go out moose hunting the first year. And a buddy, some, some buddies of ours were like, you never get moose on the first year. And I was like, I'm going to try it. We're going to try to break the mold. And so we went out, we're driving towards Seward, and we just had like binoculars looking out. We're like, there's a moose somewhere, right? We're going to shoot one. And, and finally, we actually see one on the, up, up off the mountain. It's like a mile and a half away. And, and we're thinking, this is it. We're going to go get an Alaska moose. And so we, we, we get out of the car and we got a little bit of gear, totally unprepared, right? Like, like backpacks and sneakers. And like, we just did not have what we needed. And so we go hiking up this mountain and we get up there and it's like, I don't know, four in the afternoon. And we're thinking, okay, we come out into the clearing. Are we going to get one? And sure enough, this, this moose is still there. My buddy gets a shot, knocks down this beautiful Alaska moose. And so here we are standing on the top of this mountain, looking down at the, at the highway. We can see the road down there. We've got an Alaska moose on the ground. We've got like the sun setting in the background. And we're just like, this is the life. Why do people make this sound so hard? This is easy, right? You just go up and you get a moose. And so... So now we're like celebrating and we take care of it as best we can and, and we're like, well, we got to get out of here. It's dark now. And, and so we throw our backpacks on and we start walking down the mountain. Well, about then the fog starts rolling in. We didn't have any water. We had one flashlight, I think, and the batteries were going dead. Uh, we had no GPS because it was just a mile and a half away, right? And so we're walking and, and it's just getting darker and it's getting colder. And we, we remember up about this point on the way in, we passed another bear hunter who was like, there's bears everywhere in here. Watch out, boys. So like now there's bears in the woods. We're covered in moose blood. And we're like, ah, oh, this is a bad idea, you know? And, and so we're freaking out. And we get down in this bottom and it's like 11 p.m., midnight, one in the morning, and we realized we are walking in circles, and we're just lost, and we're thinking, we are never going to get out of the woods, and then, like, finally, finally, we bust out of the trees as the sun comes up over the horizon. We have walked all night long. 
we were just dead tired, worn out. You know, we got this moose down, but man, we were just like, we, we, were, we were dead. We were so unprepared. And I was thinking about this idea of, of seeing the sunrise and how isn't that all of our hope when we go through a dark night of the soul? Don't you just want to see the sunrise? Don't you just want to see this, this peace and joy come out of this hard situation? We read in the book of this guy named Gerald Sitzer who reflects on the loss of his family. He lost his whole family in, a, in this terrible car wreck. And he decided rather than running from the darkness to run directly toward it. He learned that the quickest way to reach the sun and the light of day is not to run west chasing after it, but to head east into the darkness until you finally reach the sunrise. So I want to leave you with this. Don't run from the wall. Run toward it with all of your might. Run toward it. What if you were to lean into these difficult situations? Instead of running away from them, you were to say, God is going to use this broken situation for something that is good. As many of you know, your greatest weakness often becomes your greatest asset. You have a a story and a testimony that God is already beginning to use in the lives of others. You're already seeing the redemption of God through difficult circumstances. You're seeing the meaning in what seemed meaningless. And so I want you just to believe that God will take what's so broken and he will use it for good. And that is what we fix our eyes on. Jesus himself working things out for the betterment of us and those who are around us. So a few things for you guys. If you've never hit a wall, good news, one's coming. Just so you know, it's coming. It's gonna come today or tomorrow, next year. Know that the wall is coming and it's coming and God loves you and he wants to use it. And it may or may not be at the hand of God. You can wrestle with that, but God will use it for good. Know this, if you've wandered away from the wall, I want you to run towards it with all of your mind. I want you to turn back around instead of seeing it as a meaningless, purposeless situation, trying to get out, asking God, not so much why did you do this, but what are you doing in this? All right, we spend so much time telling God, you need to tell me why. Instead, what if we just said, God, what are you doing right now? Right in front of my face. How are you at work? That's all I want to know. How can I be part of what you're doing in this difficult situation? And if you are in a dark night of the soul, if you have hit the wall, I want to promise you one thing. The light is coming. The light is coming. So in the meantime, we can give our utmost praise to the one who understands our pain. We can give our utmost praise to Jesus. He understands suffering and sorrow in ways that we could never understand as he bore our sins and the sin of humanity. And he didn't just die, he lived again so that we might not just die, but experience life, not just in eternity, but right now, even in the darkest nights of our souls. Let's pray together. God, I just want to confess that this is a lot easier to say than it is to do. And um, confess that in my heart, God, as I encounter opposition and struggle, my first impulse isn't always to believe that you are at work in it. It's to wonder if you've lost control, wonder if you're even there, or to question your goodness. So God, we wanna wanna just repent of that, ask you to change our hearts in that. Could we see you as our loving, good father who's watching and, and weeping as the world goes through really difficult things? But God, your hands are not tied, you are working things out for our good and the good of those who are around us. 
Thank you for those little moments that you reveal to us your, your redemption. Those, those moments of resurrection in our lives where something that seemed like nothing but pain and sorrow and death produces something beautiful. So I pray for more of that in the lives of those who are here this morning. Could we begin to see you at work? Could we trust you? Could we embrace difficult questions and build up the structure of our faith, God, so that we can withstand the weight of sorrow and love you on the other side? And God, may we worship you for the next few moments. We need to take our eyes off ourselves. Can we just sing to you and honor you and focus on you for a few moments? You are so good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.